Good evening. When uh, we were talking about this uh, this evening, we decided not to prepare anything at all. So it is going to be the most... Really conversation. <laughs> a real conversation on the most spontaneous of them all. It may be a disaster, but <laughs> anyway, we leave it to, to chance. I, I had spoken to Loipa informally. We had spoken about this the last time when Alicia Alonso came here. But uh, we hadn't decided anything, and it was in November in Havana during the International Ballet Festival when I saw this bit, the clip of you teaching. This is um, a Spanish documentary celebrating the life and work of Alicia Alonso. But I saw the, the moment when Loipa was teaching, and that decided me to say to her that evening at a cocktail that uh, took place in, in a museum, they said, Loipa, you have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> she had said until then, I'll do it, maybe let me think about it. But that day I, I decided. And uh, I decided to do it because, to me, it illustrated very well a theme which is very important in my profession, and I would imagine also in your profession, and that is the relationship between the teacher and uh, the student. It is interesting that uh, Anne chose to begin with uh, Black Swan, which, as we know, I mean, everybody's talking about now because of that film, <laughs> uh, which portrays really a kind of nightmare, nightmare version of what a relationship between a teacher and a student could be. So I wonder whether I should uh, leave you now, Loipa. But before, before I hand it over to you, th there is another reason why I was interested in Loipa as uh, a partner for this conversation. And that is that I know she's been connected to the world of psychiatry very closely. Her father was a psychiatrist. And, uh, for the good she, and for the bad. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you've always been interested in the psychological aspects of life and uh, of your profession, both as a performer and uh, as a teacher. So... I wonder whether you could begin maybe commenting on that. I think I'll start with that because yeah. it's, for me, it's the, the most important part of, of teaching. And it's, what, it's for me the real challenge. I think when you teach, I'll talk about ballet, which is my profession. It's, it's not just the fact of putting steps together and uh, making it beyond music and, and giving corrections. For me, the most challenging part of, of, of a class, of a ballet class, is the, the people I work with, is to be able to, to connect with mm -hmm. every one of them and take account that every person in that class has different personalities and have different needs. And to be able to... to understand that and to be able to, to, 
get into the needs of the pupils, of the professionals I'm working with. It's the most, for me, amazing and uh, satisfactory part of, of a ballet class. Mm -hmm. um, I think it becomes, as you said, because my father was a psychiatrist, and he would always uh, try to make me understand that part of, of the personalities, like things were, what that, why is something happening? and try to understand why some people are behaving in one way or another. And uh, as I was very near to that, and he would also give me, for instance, when I was dancing, he would give me some, uh, some rules or some ways of me getting out of uh, tension and getting out of, um, of, of, of a situation when he, he would feel I was really stressed by the ballet. I think everything that was getting in, in my, my whole being, and then when I started teaching, maybe at the beginning I was not very conscious of that. I was very young. I was 21 years old when we had to start teaching. We didn't, the, the, the school in ballet, in the, the ballet school in Cuba opened in 1962, and our teacher said, uh, you have to start teaching because I cannot take all the groups, and we were only starting to dance. And we said, but how are we going to teach if we, we're starting to know how to dance? And he said, well, I think I've taught you very well. I've taught you how to teach. And he certainly had taught us how to, to teach because he had always taught us not to concentrate on the step, but he was always very interested and very keen on connecting dance to the real world, to physics, to chemics, to literature, to music. And uh, to know um, what muscle we were using to do a tendu or to do a passe or to do a grand So we, we were able to start finding our own ways of, uh, of working with, uh, with children. And I discovered very soon that was a passion for me, that I loved teaching as much as I loved danced. And uh, I was always ready when uh, somebody in the company, the teacher was sick or something, and said, who would like to teach? I was always with my hands standing because for me it was really a passion. And, and it became a very important part of my life. And I think that through teaching, I learned a lot of how to dance because that makes you analyze the steps or everything in, in, another, in, in another point of view. And when I stopped dancing, I was already, I didn't mind stop dancing. I, I knew I had another career, which I love. I was not teaching because I had stopped dancing. So it wouldn't be a real vocation. And um, every time, ever since, I became um, a teacher, a professional teacher, had to mm -hmm. say and, and start working. It, every day, for me, it's, it's something new. It's something that I... I prepare class and I wake up and I get into class and I the first thing I do is just to look around to see how they're tired, they're not tired they're happy, they're not happy what am I going to do, how, how am I going to take the class and um, I think it's the most wonderful of, the, of your professions the teaching mm -hmm. 
Yes, teaching can be a very beautiful experience, both for the teacher and the student, but it can also be a very unpleasant one. When uh, There's been very little written in the psychoanalytic literature about ballet, but one of the few themes that has been approached and discussed before has been the negative side of the teaching. Uh, in psychoanalysis, there is an emphasis in talking about the bad teacher or the teacher who uses ridicule, humiliation in order to teach their students, provoking what we call in psychoanalytic jargon a narcissistic injury, which is an attack on self-esteem. It doesn't need to be like that, of course, because, I mean, what one aims at doing is not only teaching for the sake of teaching, it's also, I would imagine, trying to help people to make the best help themselves. of themselves. But I think the, the, the most important thing that there should be in a ballet class or anywhere you teach is respect. You must start respecting the people you're working with. And uh, that's the only way you can really connect. And uh, it's always better, you get better results when you encourage people than when you just look and say, what are you doing? That is very discouraging. And it's even if they're doing the most funniest thing, you have to really turn it in a way that it, it's positive. Mm -hmm. Because there's no way you can you can connect if you if you don't respect what others not other what people are doing but their personalities, and maybe someone is very introverted and uh, he's he's not showing anything and you don't have to think that he's like that because he doesn't like your class mm -hmm. because I know teachers that uh, when people they're some 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 of their students are concentrated. They start thinking, well, he's not like in my class. So he's so, and he, they just turn into them and they say, why, why are you doing? It's like a battle, and a class should never be a battle. And another thing my old father used to say is that there always should be happiness. There always should be a little bit of humor. There mm. also should be that people should smile in class because our work is so hard. You sweat so much. You go through more through so much pain. Sometimes you come into that class and your back hurts or your knee hurts and you still have to do that class. And if, if, you, don't, if you don't really make out of it something pleasant, then it's really unbearable. Mm -hmm. it, it, it is unbearable. I was a dancer, and another thing that I try not to lose is the sensations I had when I was a dancer, what I liked as a dancer. I, I like to be looked at, given corrections, treated. Sometimes it's so important when a dancer is in, in bar just to go over and touch a shoulder, and that maybe if he was like that, oh, that means that he knows somebody's looking at him and that, that somebody it's by his side working with him. It's, it's very easy just to, some teachers come and they just sit down and do this and do that and they don't even sweat. I think, I think a teacher has to sweat with the, with the student. He has to finish class as tired 
as the dancers they have he had been working with maybe not physically tired because we don't jump and not at my age anymore but at least mentally tired and um, the challenge to work with high professionals is incredible because they are in a very high standard of dancing so to really find a correction you really have to be like that you cannot lose a thing I remember, and that's an anecdote, there's a very good Italian dancer. He was a prodigy. He was 18 years old, and he was dancing beautiful. And I remember I was rehearsing a, a variation in, 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 in Milan. It was a voice variation, the mandolin variation in, 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 in Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. And the professionals that were there to dance were having a lot of trouble. They were falling in room, okay, and we were working. And then this boy was an understudy, and because he was doing Paris, and Paris has nothing to do, and we had a lot of time, <clears throat> still, let's do the variation. You're understudy, you have to be ready, you never know. And this boy just started and finished the variation like that. And I went like that, and I said, you know, you have to do it again because I must find something to tell you. <laughs> and he did, and I found. But I was so surprised that, uh, like, I went like, oh my goodness, he's doing everything. But he had details to be, but that's one thing also very important. Yesterday, I was in Tamara's and Carla's performance, and I was embellished watching them. And then a man by my side said, are you enjoying it very much? And I said, yes, I'm enjoying it very much, but I must stay critical. <laughs> <laughs> I let go, but then at the same time, I said, you have to look and look because... As my teacher would say, nice. when I finish a performance, he would come down and he said, you dance beautifully, but. <laughs> and the buts will start, and then I knew I had to keep on working. And that's good, because we always, this is a, this is a profession where you never stop working. It's, it's good, but can be better. And, and the way, if, if you try to achieve perfection, you'll get better every time. Perfection will never arrive. But you'll be better anytime. Well, I hope some ideas come to me and also to you tonight. I was saying that very little has been written about uh, the subject. But uh, after Tamara's conversation, while we were having dinner, jokingly, we said maybe we should write something together. And to my surprise, I got several messages from some analysts who were in the audience saying, you should write something together. I think so. And this is how I started. But for many reasons, I changed uh, my purpose, and I thought that maybe I should write with you and with Tamara and Alicia Alonso and Irek and all of you something about these conversations which um, I was saying to Tamara recently, that I intend maybe to present at one of the scientific meetings of our society and then publish it first in our bulletin. And if people like it, send it to our international. And I think there would be many people surprised knowing that in that thing you're presenting there would be dancers and teachers because I think... In the world, in general, uh, dancers are thought not to be very intelligent. Yes. They are thought just to move the hands and heads and legs. 
but um, if you don't use this, nothing would come. I've, I've seen a lot of talented dancers, but as I say, they got first when the, the Lord was given conditions, but they got, they were last in the standing line for intelligence, and they didn't do, they were not able to do a lot with, their, with the talent they had. And instead, I've seen people, not so much talent, the, that was with work and really intelligence on, on the things they're doing and what they're doing and with very clear objectives have become very, very, very famous and, and well-renowned dancers. So I think there's nothing in this world in, that you can do without your brain and without intelligence. And also you have to have the heart and vocation, mm -hmm. but also for me, this is very important. You know, that's interesting because that was the reason why these conversations were started. Precisely because dancers have, not only dancers, ballet has a bad reputation among intellectuals and uh, it is seen as some kind of frivolous activity for people who do not think. And um, what happened was that Nuriev had recently died and at Covent Garden, on a Sunday, they organized an homage. And among the several people who intervened, there was... Can you hear? Well, yes? It was Irek Mohamedov who came, and all he did was uh, he read uh, in Russian a Pushkin poem. But the way he read it and everything about it made me realize here we have a dancer who is thinking about what he's doing. And very shortly afterwards, he presented a ballet called Rasputin, Rasputin at Hampton Court, I think. And this is how the whole idea originated, precisely to undo that myth of the dancer who cannot think. I think, you should, I think the dancers, mm. we say, we think, that's why we dance. That's interesting because, you see, when I, when I have a patient who comes to me for psychoanalytic treatment, and usually it is somebody who doesn't know anything about what psychoanalysis is, in order to explain, I use a metaphor of learning a foreign language. And I say, look, we are both going to learn a foreign language. The language is the language of the unconscious. You know the phonetics of that language, and I know the grammar. The process is not very different, in fact, from that of uh, children learning about the world in their relationship with their mothers, learning to speak. The mother has to listen attentively to make sense of the sounds the baby is making. And little by little, the mother gives the child, as we do in analysis, the structure to be able to formulate their ideas in a way which can be understood by others. I mean, we do it in analysis. We try to help people to put in words emotions as opposed to developing symptoms or 
acting in a pathological way, we try to, to help people to, first than anything, to think about their emotions, about their feelings, and then to be able to contain them also in words. Now, the way you do it is interesting because you do not use words. I do Men sometimes use words. <laughs> I do yes, words, just the right word. It's sometimes, <laughs> even if it's a As movement, a teacher, yes. As a teacher, I have to use yes. words. And sometimes, because you're saying something very interesting mm -hmm. and that can be, for a teacher, it's very important to take conscience of, is that most all of the teachers have been dancers. And some of, some of, of them, and it's very important, tried to continue themselves through others. So they try to make the people they're working with dance the way they would dance or they would approach a role or they would do some kind of gesture. And I think the most important thing also for a teacher, especially when you're coaching, is to understand the personality of the person and leave them, just suggest, because I think one of the clever words, the more important words in this uh, whole business is not to impose, but just to suggest and give different f forms of people to get into what you should think they, it would be better for them and not try to make people dance or do the things you would yeah. have done or do have danced liked. Because they're, they're different people. And it's another time, it's completely, this is 1969. We don't dance now the way I was dancing in 1969. And, and I, the teacher also has to understand that, that dance has evolved in such a way that uh, there, there are things now that, are, that have to be done because it's the, the, it's the artistic pattern of what it should be seen on stage. You cannot dance like, I dance, and nobody can dance now, not me, but even further. And all the teachers teaching now, we're that kind. We were <coughs> dancing in that, those ages. And it's not the same thing anymore. The dancing has come into such a level that uh, you have to keep up yourself updated. Even the, the, the technique that uh, you use, what you teach, has evolved. We don't, it's, it's, the teaching now is the same thing I got when I was 10, 15, 20 years. There are some things of, my, of that moment that I have kept because I think they're basis on which to construct. But you have to keep very updated on what's going on, what is needed to dance in that level that they're dancing now. And, and, and never to impose, never. You should never impose. And also, be very sensitive when you feel that uh, what you're saying or what you're suggesting is not going to go through. And don't get stuck and say, yes, yes, and keep on pushing and pushing. No, there's sometimes you have to let go. And let go to the person that goes home two or three days. Sometimes it will come back, and they will be doing what you suggested. Because it has come to them in a very natural way. They have come, it had come through their own reflection of, of the thing. They have thought and said, okay, I'll give it a try. At least I'll give it a try. And also that's very important. I think a teacher has to be very wide 
open, never like that, because uh, there's so many different ways of, of, of moving a hand, and it will mean the same thing, but each person will move it in a different way, and it will have the same meaning. You just have to be very careful that it's in the style because you don't move the same thing in Swan Lake that you would move in, in Cinderella or that you would move in Sleeping Beauty. There are styles and epochs, and you have to have them like our century, but in the, in the atmosphere of that, of that moment. Yes, you know, what you're saying resonates a lot with uh, some of the things we do. You mentioned earlier on something which is very important, and that is respect. The respect that you have for your students is the same respect that we are supposed to have for our patients and also for the younger people we help training. Because our teaching has, I mean, several aspects, I mean, several registers. One is the teaching that I was talking about, that occurs during the psychoanalytic process, but we also help the people who are learning, who are training to become psychoanalysts. Unlike you, you have, I mean, all teachers were dancers at one time or another. Most of them. Yes. And we also, all teachers and all psychoanalysts, we were patients at one point. And that is a very important part of our training because that will help us to understand what it feels like being a patient. But excuse me, Luis, yeah. not all patients, not only not all former patients have to be psychoanalysts no. because no. all no former dancers can no. be teachers. Exactly. But you know, that's, that's you, the other thing. That's another thing because that's, that you dance doesn't mean that you can teach. Indeed. But that's, that's one thing which um, you said a moment ago, which is very important, um, is not to try to impose your own values on the people you either have on the couch or the students who come to you to discuss the cases they see. Or at least, I mean, what I try to do is always try to help the student to be the best they can be, as themselves, not as replicas of myself. I may have, and I do, some clear ideas about how I think things should be done, but it doesn't mean that everybody has to agree with me. And um, during the analytic process is even more important. Last night, I was teaching candidates on a seminar on analyzability. And uh, the memory of a wonderful psychoanalyst who died, I mean, she's a historical figure in our world, Paula Hyman, whom some of you may have seen in a play called Mrs. Klein. She's one of the characters in that play. Paula Hyman's words came back to my mind. I mean, because she had a way of trying to assess whether people could be analyzed or not. But she said always, Luis, you have to remember, it's a two-way process. And you have to ask yourself, am I 
the right analyst for that person? Can I actually teach that person? Can I analyze that person? And that, I think, is in a different language, but uh, what I think you were also saying. Yes, and, and, and you know, I think also it's very important for a teacher not to... I, I, I mark, there's one point I, I always go back to that moment when I start teaching in, not in Cuba, because in Cuba, it's my company, everybody knows me, I know everybody. It's like you feel at home, so you feel at ease when, when you teach. And one of my first appointments teaching outside Cuba was in Rome. And Italians are very like, who, 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 especially the laws. The laws, <laughs> the syndicates are very, very strong and uh, it's like, I was like, my mouth went like that. They, I, I remember they were dancing um, Swan Lake, part of the second act, beautiful part of the, you know, that music and everything. And in the middle of the adagio, in the most beautiful moment, the pianist went up, stood up and said, it's time for my break. <laughs> and I went, my, but they're in the middle of Padre, at least let them finish. No, no, it's time for my break. They're like that. It's really something. And then there was a, a marvelous young girl that the people who were staging the, the ballet wanted her to, to learn the ballet, and they asked her to come in the, in the room. And the prima ballerina just when saw her said, she said she wouldn't move. and said, what's, what's wrong? said, she hasn't got the right to be here. Why? Because she's a corps de ballet. She doesn't have to learn this part. And she wouldn't move until the girl. So you see, that's why dance in that part of the world has come a little bit down. But I remember <laughs> that, uh, that I was in the room teaching, and they were all chatting. There were few and they were all chatting, and they shout really loud, and cha 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 and, and talking about football, and uh, the, the Roma win, uh, won, won Milan, and all of them. And I was getting like, and I wanted to, to shout and said, no, that's what they want. They want just to disturb me. They, they don't, because I'm given a class, a hard class, they don't want to work. They just want to disturb me. So I'm not going to pay attention to them. I'm going to pay attention only to those ones, three or four, who wanted to work. And by doing that, in a week, everybody felt like they, they, I, w I was not giving attention to them. So they start not talking to get some of attention. And that was a big lesson to me, because sometimes you can always also find in a class somebody who wants to disturb you, because you have, that's, that's life. There's some people who are really lazy and they don't want to work and they don't feel and when other people are working hard they feel the pressure that it's shown more that they don't want to work so to not show that they don't want to work they disturb the others who want to work not to be shown that they don't want to work and they try some some of them conscious the other ones more unconscious they try to make like a sort of disturbance and if you pay attention to that it's gone you have to just go and keep your class going, no matter of those uh, turbulences that, <laughs> that, that go around in the class. And at the end, you just it's good to have also people that do want to work. 
The other ones, they don't count. If they don't want to work, it's their problem. It's not your problem. You're there for those who really want to work. And whoever requires attention and everybody who requires a little bit of help, you're ready for them. But they have, they have, they need, you need to feel that they want it. If you don't want it, why should I waste my time? And you said something that remember one of my, my father's thing. He told me a lot of things that I came to really take conscience of already grown up. I remember everything, something happened to me, he said, oh, you're immature. He never did anything to me, not a kick in my head. It was always, you're immature. <laughs> and I, oh, I was trying to look for maturity. Where is maturity? And I will, will try to be a very mature woman. And something happened again, and I said, you're immature. I said, okay, daddy, please tell me, what's maturity for you? He said, oh, it's very easy. Is the tolerance of ambiguity. <laughs> yes, it is the tolerance of ambiguity. It can be red, it can be black, it can be white, it can be yellow. You have your own idea, but you let everybody have another idea. <laughs> you know, in that sense, interestingly enough, he was wiser than Freud. <laughs> Freud wrote, Freud loved dogs. And in a letter to the princess Marie Bonaparte, he wrote, why cannot human beings be more like dogs? I mean, they love their friends and they, they bite their enemies. While human beings, we are ambivalent all the time. And that is the tolerance of ambivalence. <laughs> it's the tolerance of ambiguity in a certain way. There's sometimes you want to bite and you just have to <laughs> smile. <laughs> But I wanted to move on to something else. I mean, I'm not Cuban, although I also come from an island and from a family who has had links, very close links with Cuba for many years. Come from the Canary Islands. My very first work in Cuba, I started going to Cuba as an adult in 1986. And uh, the very first invitation I had was to the William Soler Hospital, which is a hospital for children. I spoke a little bit about this with uh, Alicia Alonso, but we didn't have time to develop, and I think we still have a few minutes. At the William Soler, I found out that in Cuba, you were doing something called Psycho Ballet, which involved children. Mm -hmm. And I still remember the example that she gave Alicia Alonso about the little girl who was drawing, but who never drew the feet, mm -hmm. and that caught her attention. But I know you were also involved directly in this project, and I wonder whether, now that we are talking about teaching and learning and how to do it, I think whether that you through dance, that. I think that through dance you can uh, really develop a lot of, uh, of ways into getting into children who are very shy or children that have uh, uh, excess of uh, force, hyperactivity, you call mm -hmm. it in English. Mm -hmm. And uh, we started that, and uh, it was a big success. It was a big uh, success, and, and even at the beginning, I remember that many psychologists were a little bit like, oh, but at the end, uh, with the, this psychologist, La Doctora Fariñas, she, yes. they developed like a method of working with, uh, with those children. And 
first of all, they would make an evaluation of, of the children itself, mm -hmm. what would be the problem of the children. And in, in, with that, they would do certain kind of exercises of music or interrelation or something. But that has developed a lot in Cuba. And uh, you know that, that children that have the syndrome of Down, yes. they're supposed not to be able to follow the rhythm of the music. Mm -hmm. And now in Cuba, it has, they have developed this uh, work with them. And I was amazed in one of these shows that people, that children with uh, problems of uh, different kind, including the syndrome of Down, they make a performance on, on stage. And the these boys and girls with Down syndrome, they were dancing the contra dancer, perfectly timed. We were all like, oh my goodness, they were doing it with perfect rhythm of the music. So it shows that through art, through dance, you can really achieve a lot of things. Even a normal person, because like my father said, they're so not a normal person. <laughs> and uh, when you, you, you move, and it's like you express yourself, most of your sentiments really go. And, and uh, go to a performance of ballet, and where you, you can feel that flow of, uh, of movement of love or hate or betray because everything is said. You can say everything through movement and through, through emotions. And when that emotion that the dancer have, they, they, it flows, it goes, it reaches you, it reaches the other side of, of the ramp. And you really get involved. And I, it's not that, it's not, Teaching, but I, I always also remember that uh, Cuba had been gone through different difficult moments, and in in the nineties we were particularly in a very, very, very hard moment. Mm. And I remember we had a big cuts of electricity, and uh, we had our this international ballet festival that goes every two years, and the government decided that it would go on, even if we were really, really in very bad economical conditions. And they guaranteed that the, the lights will be, electricity will be in the theater for the, dur the during of the performance. We had to rehearse and everything in the morning, everything open because it was very hot. But for the performance, there would be electricity and we would do the performance. And I remember people, we didn't have not bosses, anything. It was really very bad. And I remember people coming, walking, dressed with the best things they had, going into that theater and enjoying the performance and coming out with a big smile to the big difficulties we had. So I think that proved that art is so important, culture is so important for human beings. I was interested in, in asking you about Sico um, Ballet because, I mean, my work in Cuba has been mostly with adults and teaching, teaching to people who were interested in psychoanalysis. I mean, the idea came from uh, an encounter that uh, started in 1985, I think, something called Encounter Psychoanalysis Marxist psychology, organized by Calvino, <laughs> who is now on television. 
Yeah, we have a man, very fatty, very, that has a program in television, and he, he's a psychologist in TV. Yeah. And he talks about all the common problems of the life, everyday life in Cuba, and, and he's very popular. And, and he's a very funny guy. <laughs> yeah. he, he, everything he says, he says it's with this kind of uh, humor and uh, this kind of uh, positive view of life. And uh, I think that's also very important. But it was in one of these encounters that I was invited to work at a special school called Paquito Rosales, mm -hmm. I think. Where I went, I am a child psychoanalyst, so I have been working with children for many years. And uh, there was a, a selective mute. There was a boy who was 10 or 11, who nowadays, I think, some people might diagnose as, uh, or misdiagnose, I think, as autistic. Uh, he chose not to speak, but he was able to speak. And I was very interested in this boy with whom I played and who related to me and who conveyed things to me through drawings and playing. And one day somebody came from the ballet and I was told that it was somebody who was trying to, to use some of the ideas about um, Psycho Ballet. And very much to my surprise, during one of the classes, the teacher got angry with uh, this boy, and uh, the boy spoke and said, that's enough. <laughs> so no, basta. He was <laughs> basta. Basta, the boy. <laughs> he said, that's enough. He had enough. I, I, that's I, I want to leave. <laughs> yeah, he had a lot of psychosis. <laughs> so I wanted to know, I mean, how much did you, I mean, did you go to schools often, or did the children come to you? No, they, they brought this. They, they, they brought mm -hmm. the kids to the to the ballet school. It, uh -huh. it it was done in the atmosphere of ballet. So there was the music, and there was the bars, and there were things. So they knew they were coming to to a to a ballet world, mm -hmm. and uh, they were really when they got there, they really got very at ease, and it was very easy to work with them and play mm -hmm. with them and make them uh, interrelate inter one with the others and with the circles and the jumpings and imitating little animals mm -hmm. and and uh, it was really very very interesting and some of our dancers found there a real they loved the, this work with them this um, with the children, and now in the institute in Madrid, we have for the because we have four years of for students, and there are students that are are in the world of dance and movement, but uh, it's very difficult to to really find a work as a dancer. So by in four years, they study a lot with they, that permits them to be teachers or be choreographers or work. We have special psychopedagogy and uh, mm -hmm. psych uh, psycho um, psychoanalysis of, 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 of dancing. So they, they are able to, when they finish, to work with, with children that even are, that cannot see, that have problems to hear, or that are autism or have syndrome of Down. So it's become a speciality, and they know the movements, what are the dances they have to do, how to interlap. It's become like a... Um, a very interesting, um, I don't know, materi materia of study, uh, 
subject. A subject of study yes. in, in the university, and many of them are really, I know a girl that finished and she started this work mm -hmm. in the north of Spain, and, and she did such a wonderful work that they now mm -hmm. given her a whole building and, and all the means to, to keep on working and developing, and developing that. Mm -hmm. But I think every ballet class is a little bit of sicko ballet. <laughs> I think every, uh, yeah, it's um, a way sometimes you, you come to with your press and it's, it's, um, it's a way of uh, really letting go much of your, your, your everyday problems because when you get in ballet class, you have to forget about the world. It's just you, the mirror, and your body. <laughs> well, we both come from cultures and from countries where dance is an important part of everyday life, Cuba and Spain. But I think dance is part of the human yes. being because the human beings have been dancing ever since they they That's try true. to 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 find. Uh, I want water. They dance. They, they invented a kind of, of <laughs> dance to make water and to drop. They wanted the crops to grow and they invented the dance. They imitated the animals <laughs> to hunt better. So dance is part of you cannot. I cannot conceive human without dance and without movement. I agree. But our countries, of <laughs> course, it's like in Cuba, we say that children learn first to dance than to walk. Yes. <laughs> um, questions? Yes, Jan Andrea. Hi, thank you very much. Um, first of all, I would like to apologize. I'm Italian, and <laughs> I work in the dance world of Italy for about 10 years, and I absolutely agree with you, and I do apologize <laughs> for that horrid situation which you so colorfully and truthfully sought to portray. Secondly, I would like to thank you for a fantastic conversation. The two of you are fantastic. I actually have a question. In the light of all the great things you actually said tonight, what do you think about Jennifer Homan's statement in her best-selling book, Apollo's Angels, that ballet is a dying art, particularly in the light of the fact that she's not a dying art as a language and not something that you teach, but in the fact that new productions, new ballet, don't seem actually to sort of hit it right? And um, I have to say is a view that many of us in the profession do share. I think what it in my point of view, is that I think that uh, because it's very easy to, to not tell stories, lately all choreographers have gone in that kind of uh, way. It's just easy to take music and uh, to do movements. The really story, to really tell a story as Macmillan did, it's, it's very difficult. You st I don't think choreographers have developed in that things. And to really put life, actual life, on stage, you really have to know how to do it. And I think there's, there isn't that choreographer around. A choreographer that has his interest, like Macmillan was, in, in, the, in personalities, in, in, the, um, in minds, and uh, have the ability and, and the talent to take that story and put it on stage. I don't think it's because of ballet itself. I think it's because there's no choreographer to do it. I think of that generation of Macmillan who's left, new mayor, and, uh, and that's it. There's no, 
I don't, I don't see around any other choreographer that could take something nowadays and put it on stage with real artistic values. Thank you. So you agree with Jennifer Homans? Because, I mean, she says exactly the same thing. She says that, you know, ballet is dying because of the lack of choreographers. I think it's the lack of choreographer. I agree. Of choreographers that can take actual things and put it on stage with a very artistic level. Because to really represent problems, you have to... Theater has some rules you cannot ignore. And you have to take account of those rules to, to put in whatever you're going to put. I take a notice of, of the last opera, which has taken a very story banal, to say it in a certain way, and has to put it in a standard where it's become something very important because it's the way it's taught. It's very intelligent and with a lot of talent it taught. And I think what's happening with ballet is that they're not choreographers with that talent to tell stories. And to get into modern life with all these different things and currents coming and going, you really have to tell, have a lot of talent and intelligence to put that on stage with the, with the standards of a very high artistic production. Thank you. It, it's, it's been a fascinating conversation about education and learning and the psychological dimensions of that. Um, but I wondered if I, if I could ask something about the direct relationship between um, psychoanalysis and, and dance in terms of its relationship to unconscious life. Isadora Duncan, I believe, said once when asked to explain her dance that if she could put it into words, she wouldn't need to dance it, which opens up a gap between what can be put into words and what can be expressed aesthetically in dance. And dance is a very physical aesthetic, so it's, it's an expression of the body. And psychoanalysis has a different take on the body, but it's very much rooted in the body and its desires. So my question's about whether... <clears throat> things can be expressed about unconscious life in dance that can't be put into words in psychoanalysis and whether things can be put into words in psychoanalysis about unconscious life that can't be expressed in dance and whether they are two different ways of expressing the same thing or different ways of expressing different aspects of unconscious life. You see, I would... Um, I would put it slightly differently... And I would say that a psychoanalyst and a dancer can reach the same point, but through different ways. What I may be able to explain with words, a dancer can show equally well, and not only dancers, artists in general, uh, with their art. Freud said that whenever he had any doubts about his ideas, he looked at the work of artists, because they all knew it. Before he ever formulated anything, it was all there. And this is what I think is fascinating about art, that the artist reaches that point differently. I'm not an artist, so I do not know how, but they get there. I remember during the, during the conversation with Muhammadov, we showed 
a little bit of Meierling. And it is the moment when the prince goes to visit the empress. Yes. And the way he danced, I mean, it was very clear to any psychoanalyst that it was an edible moment. When I asked Deborah Macmillan, I mean, did Kenneth Macmillan have that in mind? She laughed and said, no. He would have laughed at what you say, but he would have added, after listening to you, you are right. It's only that I didn't think about it. So this is a connection that I, that I see. I don't know whether that answers your question or not. But I, only, I, I wanted to add something to the Italian question. <laughs> because I disagree slightly with uh, Leuber. Uh, I have more faith that one day a new choreographer well, will I appear. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. I and have in that way, I don't think that Bali will ever die. Yeah. No, ballet I don't think will ever die because when you, you, Swan Lake will ever live. There are ballets that will ever live. That's like, it's like you go to a museum to see Mona Lisa, you go to ballet to yes. see Swan Lake. They're classics and they become classics because they have such values in themselves that even if we're in the 21st century, they, you, you keep receiving pleasure out of watching them. But I thought of referring to put nowadays life into stage to be the classics for the 22nd century and 23rd century. That's where I say that there's no choreographers mm. in the world now to mm. be able to do it. And I do hope, and I also, I always have, I never say nothing can happen. Everything can happen. And I think that maybe it will come, and I, I do hope it comes, and, and I do hope that there will be some, some of classes that will tell these stories, big stories of days of how it was for next, next generations. And they would have Swan Lake as a classic, and they will have Maurice Béjart's things as a classic, and they will have Pina's thing as a classic, and they will have a lot of classics. But it has to come to the ballet world. It, 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 for me, there's not one around that could do that at least for the moment. It may be that we are going through some kind of catatonic moment. No, but they're, they're waves. But they're, they're <laughs> waves. I think, I think the, the, this thing that uh, modern dance, or, which I love, it's, it's very easy to put on, and, and that's been also very easy in the companies. It, uh, work like that requires a lot of, uh, maybe yes, I, I'm saying maybe not, because you don't need a lot of things when, when dance is really what it is, what it has to be. You don't need all that kind of paraphernalia around you to, to make uh, you understand things. You understand just by movement. You don't need to, 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 to tell you what to think and what to understand. You can just feel it by the movement and what's going on and the relation of, of the dancers. But I think it, it's very easy in toe shoes, uh, don't cost a lot, so it's better to dance barefoot. And um, sometimes no tutus are very, very expensive, so we shorten on tutus. And that was a, like a wave in, in, a, in a certain moment. And um, they just got used to it and working on that and not trying to, to figure out how to express their own time on stage. 
Waiting in hope. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> I actually just wanted to comment that the, that the previous question about the interrelations between psychoanalysis and, and dance made me think of Loipe's comments on the importance of the intelligence. And I was just thinking that, that the artistry of so many dancers obviously exudes a kind of embodied intelligence, but that maybe we live in a culture where the verbal is privileged more than that, and maybe that's sometimes where it, where it is discredited in terms of intelligence, in terms of what the dancers had, which I thought was maybe something. I don't know if maybe you want to, to, to comment on that. No, I was thinking when they were making the conversation, I was thinking of the paintings of Van Gogh. Yeah. You're just looking at his last paintings, you know he's mad. And I don't think he was telling us by painting that I'm mad. His, his subconscious went natural like that. And I think also when you, if you go to Arles and, 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 and you see the, 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 the country there, you understand how this man got the, those colors from there. So, so I think uh, the artists do have some way, maybe unconsciously, that expressing their own I think even I would dare say that I could I can feel sometimes that unconscious feelings coming out in a movement when some people are stressed or are, or sor they're sad or their 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 mind are it's in some other place that can show and they they don't want to show it but it comes very natural and I think Isadora did show a lot of emotions through her dance. When you see some of uh, well, the things they've said about her and, and everything, and, and I think most she, she expressed a lot of her emotions, I think conscious and unconscious, while she was dancing, because she improvised. So I don't think she had any control of what she was giving us. She did a lot of improvisations, so sometimes... And that's why everything, every day maybe she would dance different because she would be feeling different and her emotions would be feeling different and her unconscious would be different. Thank you. Could we have time for maybe one more question? I'm going to get really scorned for asking this, but what did, what did you think about Black Swan? Do you think there's anything you can say that's good about it? <laughs> That comes out that well, there's going, one good thing is that they, it has brought back interest to ballet because I know in the New York City ballet they had to put two extra performances. They were on a big financial crisis and now they have to put on more performances because people are wanting to come to see ballet and see if we are all mad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I know also that somebody called the box office at the Covent Garden asking when was Natalie Portman dancing so late. <laughs> So, so it's always good, and I and I remember the same thing happened with the Turning Point, and and we were talking with Liz about a picture that, which for me is the best because it shows what it's everything that can happen, but with uh, not of that horror thing about it. It's uh, red shoes. Mm. In Red Shoes, you have the, the problem of the ballerina, whether to dance, whether to leave, whether she could not her life, the, the pressure of uh, supposed to be Diaghilev. But everything is in, in the normal view of mm -hmm. things. It's not, you don't have to just 
And, and not all ballerinas are anorexic, and they they lead a normal life, and and they don't go mad, and uh, you don't have uh, the t-shirts. I'm not a mean teacher. I, I don't I don't see myself represented there. And directors are not so bad. They they can be. Yes, why not? In this world, everything we have space for everybody and everyone. But uh, I don't think that should be the eye in which ballet should be shown, especially after Red Shoes, and even Turning Point, which was more American in a certain way, very more light. But for me, Red Shoes is what it is. Red Shoes is a perfect fusion of cinema and ballet. You know, I mean, everything is done there, but more elegantly. In yes. a more and show way. and show the problems of, of that yes. a ballerina can can have in life. You know, it's like I remember. It's a little anecdote. When I decided I want to be a ballerina, I remember I was 15, and you know, in Cuba we have this every every girl that goes 15, she has a big uh, party and she must dance the waltz. And uh, I was invited to one of those 15s, and because I was a ballet dancer, I was the star of the balls because I was the only one who really wanted to know how to knew how to waltz. And I remember that day I had a performance of Seal Feet, and I didn't know what to do: go to the go to the party or go to my performance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "There, mm-hmm. what should I do?" And I went to see my my. Teacher Fernando, and I said, Fernando, you know, I have this problem. I was really concerned. And he said, Darling, if you miss today a performance for a party, you will be missing a lot of performances in your life, and you will <laughs> never be a ballerina. And that was it. He opened, okay, I have to do the sacrifice, and that's if I have to be a ballerina, that's one little sacrifice I have to go to, to do it. And that, that opened my was okay. I was okay. I did my performance, and after performance, I went. I didn't. I wasn't the queen of the waltz, but I enjoyed myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, I think that's all that we have time for. Let's all thank Louis and, and Luca for a wonderful. <laughs> We hope it's a conversation to be continued. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, please help yourself to uh, celebrate the the interesting conversation with with a glass at the back of the room. Thanks for coming.